So for anybody who doesn't know, you are Joanna Stern. Uh, this is your first time on the show. I know. Thank you for having me. And the big question is, why why can't you hold a job? It's a good question. So you were at Engadget, it and then and then you were you were a founding member of The Verge, and then you went to ABC News, and now you're at The Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is, is there a problem? Let's just make sure for the people here, at, at the, the listeners who don't know me. I have. I, I. I think they all those places are very happy with my performance. Um, I did not live live on food stamps at any point in between those jobs. I was not on unemployment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's been a good run so far. We're just trying to keep up the good work. You know what? I I I, I joke that you can't hold a job, but honestly, I yeah. think it's more that you are a perfect example of of just how dynamic. And it's a little inside baseball, but just how dynamic the the tech media world is right now. I mean, everybody is moving around except me. It's true. But I agree. I agree. And I think one of the really interesting things that I've been learning is sort of, you got to find the right platform for you. Um, and sometimes for someone like you, and you're very lucky, you know, it, it's just your own platform. Um, and, you know, I think the great thing about now being at the journal is it's really interesting to see the other types of reporting here and sort of the other types of readers that it brings in, um, you know, especially with, you know, one of the comms we're going to discuss today, like the the reaction to things like that versus if I had written that at ABC News or even written that for The Verge. So, you know, my goal partially has been to kind of reach a mainstream audience. Um, and that's, you know, it is definitely figuring out which is which is the right platform. Right. And obviously at ABC News, it's... It, you know, you you wrote for them too, and they have a website and they have writing. But clearly, I mean, it's you know, just common sense would tell you that that video is a huge part of that. Uh, but you're carrying that over at the Journal, where your weekly personal tech is always a, or I guess it's always is it sort of the format where it's always going to have a video to accompany it. Yeah, it's always, and that's like that's why I'm talking a lot about the platform. Like, what what some publications are, are wanting to put towards technology coverage. And the journal is, is really putting a lot of great resources right now into technology coverage. So, and, and, and around video, not only just great reporting and good reviews and that kind of stuff, but also around video. So I'm sort of spearheading some of the video plans out of New York. And um, yeah, every column has sort of my, my signature video style, which I keep working on as we, we keep doing these every week. Then we're doing some other video series. So yeah, you know, video's supposed to be the next big thing, right, on, in publishing. Um, I don't, it's, people feel like been saying that for, for 15 years or since the internet has well, started. I, I believe it. And I know that, you know, and like I said, you were one of the founding members there. But The Verge, you know, clearly is a big part of that too, where their product reviews are always accompanied by a video and the video stands on its own. It's not just the, the reviewer reading their review, you know, yep. it's, it's a standalone piece in their case. I, I think in most cases, the video is actually better, at least as a, as an overview of the product than, than the review itself. The re review is almost more like the, let's get into the nitty gritty director's commentary. Totally. And, and that's sort of what I'm designing here too, is just have the, have the video stand on its own. And I think with video, you know, typically tech video has been shot in some studios and, and 
it's just kind of, it is very product focused, which it should be. People want to watch videos to see the products you're reviewing, um, especially if you happen to be reviewing hardware. But I just, my mission with some of these videos and we're just kind of getting started and playing around with it is like, shoot these things where, where you're using technology and when you're out and about and, um, you know, try and match the subject to, to what you're talking about. So yeah, been having fun with it. And, you know, like you, so you, the personal technology thing is going to expand into more of a, a section. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. next week we're launching, uh, there is a section now, but it's going to have sort of a new look and feel to yeah. it. So that's really nice. And again, more focus there on, on the reviews versus sort of the, the hardcore tech reporting that the journal's known for. So we're right. really trying to push forward that sort of personal tech stuff. So yeah, me and, and Jeff Fowler, who write the weekly columns now, and uh, Wilson Rothman, who's been editing and just doing some great stuff as well. So we've just got all that kind of rolled up into a, a new fancy portal that will launch next Tuesday. Right. And it is sort of at a high level, two very different things, which is one, the breaking news angle where it's, look, trying to get scoops on things like acquisitions or daily, you know, keeping up with daily product announcements and stuff like that versus the the personal tech angle, which is, look, here's an actual new product or here's a couple of them in the same product category. Uh -huh. And here's how exactly. you, a normal person, can make sense of this and maybe, you know, think about, you know, whether you want to actually buy this or if you did, how you'd use it, which is totally. a very different thing. It is. It's completely different. And actually, this is a, the one of the first jobs where I've kind of been separated from the news. I mean, obviously, I'm, I sit near reporters and I talk to reporters, but my main job is to kind of look around and see what are the questions that people have about the technology they're using. What you know, To me, I'm really interested in some of the changes and how we adapt to some of the changes. I know you liked the typo keyboard review. Of course, that's a a little bit of a personal problem that I shared there, my addiction to hardware keyboards. And, um, <laughs> you know, but, but looking, I mean, there was another column I did, which was fun. That was about business cards. And like, I just didn't understand why we keep using these pieces of paper. We all have phones. It came, the idea came out of CES because I hadn't had business cards and people kept asking me like, where's your business card? And I was like, do you really need a business card to get in touch with me? And so, yeah, the, the point is to kind of look at you know, problems Problems we have with our technology, how do we make them better? Problems that just haven't been solved by technology. And then, of course, just doing the fun gadget reviews, too. Yeah. The business cards thing, I hadn't thought about that. But it, I, I have never still, I mean, never say never, I guess. But uh, wait, hold on. Let me do the math. Uh, uh, 11 and a half years? 11 and a half years into Daring Fireball, I've never made a business card for it. Really? No. See, I would think also you'd have like a really cool designed business card. You know what? <laughs> that's the main like you'd reason. You'd be that guy. That's the main reason I don't. I never. Because you feel like you can't talk. Right. Your, you, yeah. I've got like some drafts. I've got like like draft designs, but uh, but never I did. feel like it would be really clean. You know, right. maybe you wouldn't even have your name on it. Exactly. I've thought of that too. Right? Maybe it's just a card that's gray on both sides. Oh, it doesn't say anything. It just. Yeah. Just, right. Well, that would be interesting. You'd think about that. Uh, I've thought about that. I thought about uh, like a plain card. Gray would be interesting, but it doesn't even matter what color it is. But if it only it had nothing printed on it, but it did, right. but it did have the star in a circle imprinted on it. That would be cool too. Yeah, but then that seems a little pretentious, giving out cards that don't even have any information on it. Mm, you could just give out free T-shirts. 
<laughs> I've tried that. Um, <laughs> really? I thought you have to pay no. for the T-shirts. Uh, no, you do. You do. Yeah. Everybody I need to buy one. Um, I'm sorry for not buying one. I've been too busy, you know, trying to hold down jobs. It is a good. <laughs> it is a good point, though, that we don't have a digital interchange for business cards. Even not even say it. It, it ought to be cross-platform in some way. Um, but it's not even, not even, uh, what's the word for anti-cross platform? You know, there's no like Apple proprietary, right? Yeah. There's no Apple way. I mean, there is the Android way, which is beam. Right. Um, but that hasn't caught on. Like you don't see Android people knocking their phones up against each other at, at shows. Even then it's not Android wide. It's, you know, certain Android phones that have the, the beam. Yeah. NFC. Uh, you know, and I have to say, you know, and I, I was never a huge fan of the Newton, uh, although I, there were things I liked about it. But that was one thing the Newton could do from like day one is if if you happen to meet another person who had a Newton, you could uh, exchange effectively like a digital business card with each other through I think it was the IR part. And if I and I have to say there was that was a major glaring error in the column. I mean, we do have a word count. And so I couldn't fit in everything I wanted. But I got the the column did incredibly well on our our site. I mean, just given the audience, but also I think it was just this topic people like hadn't really thought about. And I got like, probably 10 emails, like, how could you not mention Palm? Because Palm had had it too. And and like, and I and I, I apologize to all of those readers personally. Yeah, but it seems like something. It, it is a weird step backwards, and it's just stupid. And 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 there are solutions to it. And in fact, every time I go to like a trade show, there's somebody there selling it because that's it's like ground right. zero of where you run into the problem, right? Your pocket is already bulging with cards you've picked up, and somebody is hawking a thing. You know, maybe it's an app. A lot of the times, it seems like that's the new way to do it. Is is you scan, you know, take a picture yeah. of the card with an app, and it does OCR and all of. And this. those work pretty well. I mean, that's where I where I net out at the end of it. You should watch the video too. I have to say, the video. Um, one of the great things is just like I'm working with this producer here, and he's just like, yeah, sure, let's. Try. I was like, I would like to be laying in a bed of business cards, <laughs> and he's like, okay, and I'm like, we will do that shot, and we did that shot. So yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. But yeah, that's where I net out is that like. We're kind of stuck with these cards now, so you, the only way to get rid of them is to scan them. Right, but even then, it's like it just feels like you've picked up like a, a a menial, you know, a manual labor job on the side. You know, it just seems like something you shouldn't have to do in the first place. Yeah, and one of them that I reviewed, the one that's called Card Munch, um, which is unfortunately named by LinkedIn, you have to you scan it, and it then goes to Amazon's human processing servers oh, or whatever the, the 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 mechanical turk yeah exactly and you have to wait 24 hours almost to get your card back <laughs> and I, i'm like sitting here i'm like i can write these faster like and then the, one of the when they got it back and there was an error <laughs> so this is it's an area uh ripe for innovation yeah totally i you know i don't know i don't know how you'd get everybody on board with something cross-platform right. but it you know NFC, I think, has has legs, but there's there's issues with that. Um, of course, you know the iPhone being the main one. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like that it's a problem waiting to be solved. Uh, let me take a break because uh, I have a couple sponsor reads to fit in, and and let me do the first one, and then I want to get back and talk about your piece last week on uh, tablets for work. Good. Um, I want to hear what the sponsor is. Our first sponsor is our good friends at Smile Software. 
uh, and they want me to talk to you about the PDF Pen family of apps. That includes PDF Pen for Mac, for iPad, for iPhone, and uh, their new one, PDF Pen Scan Plus. PDF Pen is just, it's just a great, great, great PDF app. It's for editing. You can manipulate. You can get in there, open a PDF, change the text. Uh, and Do they want you to talk about Text Expander? No. But that's not part of it. Nope. They just want me to. Today right. we're just talking. Text Expander is a great app, but today text we're just Expander talking. Text Expander is, I just paid for it. Just that's paid what, for it. Oh, I just paid for app. Text It's a great app. Uh, it's like a bonus. That's a bonus for them that they, have, right. uh, they um, yes. can squeeze that in. Uh, their newest app, it's Sm almost. I just, said, just a disclaimer, Smile does not pay me any money. Had no <laughs> idea they were the sponsor. And now uh, I go back to being quiet. It's a happy coincidence. Uh, or happy accident is, uh, what was his name? Bob, uh, what was that painter? Remember the guy on PBS? Oh. Um, he had a big afro. Oh, yeah. And he passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, anyway, coincidence, I didn't even think about this when we were talking about the business cards, but their newest app is PDF Pen Scan Plus. Bob Ross. And it, it lets you, Bob Ross. It lets you add scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit. Uh it's a great little use your mobile camera as an OCR scanner app. Great, great stuff. PDF Pen Pro uh, for the Mac, which I just used last week for something, and it saved my bacon because uh, I had an old PDF that I didn't have the uh, – I would made an InDesign years ago and didn't have the original anymore. Needed to make a minor change to it, and uh, PDF Pen Pro saved my bacon on that one because uh, mm. it – in about 30 seconds, I did something that would have uh, taken me like half an hour to recreate. Uh, great app for the Mac. Automatic form creation, converting websites into PDF, and more. Where do you go to find out more about these great apps? Go to smilesoftware.com slash the talk show. Uh, and they have a new video on that site, and it introduces you to the whole PDF family of apps. So my thanks to Smile. Uh, so last week, you had a piece. This is the whole idea that it, that it prompted me to ask you to be on the show on uh, using tablets for work. I did. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the gist of it is that you know that you have an iPad for personal use. Use it at night. You, you read with it. You watch movies with it. You watch video. And then you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and it's time for work. And you pull out a real laptop with yeah. a keyboard and a, you know, I guess a MacBook probably, right? An Air, yeah. But regardless, also it's a little bit more. Also one of the demands more. I made when I came to the journal. Uh, was, that, was that an issue? Well, you know, this was an issue at ABC too. These are primary, these larger media companies and, and most companies have are, are a PC world. Not the magazine, but, you know, they're, they're a Windows PC world. Uh, it's and it's everybody talks about bring your own device as a mobile thing, but I think it's sort of turning into a like laptops are sort of counting as mobile in that regard now. Yeah, at ABC, actually, interestingly, and here there's actually a lot more Macs. I also sit with the video guys, and there's a ton of Macs. Obviously, there's there's they've got iMacs and lots of fancy stuff. Um, but at ABC, I, so many desks. And this is kind of to the point, either some people had iPads that they were using, right, and they were definitely personal, or they they were using their Macs on the side um, of their, like, terrible towers at their at their desks, at, like, eight terrible HP old towers that had just gotten upgraded from XP. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 
definitely yeah. a much better situation here in, in terms of tech that everyone has. All right. So you yeah. spent a week where you tried, or I guess you did, you spent a week not using your MacBook for work, but instead tried to use, you You used, you, you tried out four tablets as like full-time work devices, an iPad Air, um, the yep, Surface. with the Logitech. The Surface keyboard. 2, um, which is the full version of Windows, right? Yep. Uh, the Lumia, I'm going to get the number wrong, 2520? You got it. Stupid name, uh, which is running the Windows RT. Yep. And last but not least, the brand new uh, Galaxy Megapad. What's it called? <laughs> Megapad. Um, yes, the Galaxy Mega Super Pad. Um, the 12-inch no, Galaxy. It's the Galaxy Note 12.2. Right. Things you can only learn when you've had to say that a number of times. Right. And I I really enjoyed the piece because I feel like it it's, it's one of those third rail topics, which is uh, – the the tablets are for consumption, not for creation. And it, people can exaggerate that to a great degree, I think. And I, you know, I've linked uh, many times over the years. I, I link to people doing amazing creative work on an iPad, and you know, link bring that up sarcastically. Right. Right. But I also it's also by the way like the and when I think one of the best Apple commercials in years, the new, I guess it's what it's the verse. I don't right. know what the name of it is. Right. And that's, and that's the premise of that, that video to me, right. Is right. that look at all these things people are doing. They're not in that video. They're not watching Netflix. Right. They're not chatting. They're doing awesome things on awesome apps that were mostly made for specific types of work. Right. But, and I think though that the ad, that that ad, I think it's a great ad. I do agree too, but I also think that it shows that, a lot, if not most, of the things that you could call work or creation that you can do on tablets um, are things that weren't really good or still aren't good for doing with a laptop. It's Absolutely. new things, right? It's like, I don't know, one of the examples, there's there's a hockey team mm -hmm. and they've got exactly. some kind of app and they're using the camera and they're showing this and they've got like a play or something and the guy can draw on the screen it, it, it wouldn't make any sense at all. It seems totally natural that the coach is right there on the ice with an iPad in his hand, and it would look ridiculous if he was there holding a laptop. Absolutely. And there's the other one. They're, um, they're on some mountain, and they've got some sort of map app yeah. running. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, – yeah. No, I totally agree with you. You don't see any scenes there. Actually, there is because I did watch the the commercial very carefully when I was writing this piece. I thought about sort of leading with it. There is a scene where there is somebody doing some sort of, you know, you assume a, a suit working on his iPad in the airport, some right. sort. Uh, but when you talk about the 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 type of work that people have been doing for 15, 20 years on PCs and you know broadly speaking Mac and Windows those things largely I think are not as as for most of us especially those of us with the habits ingrained are not as it's, it's not as easy to to use a, an iPad or any other tablet for those things yeah absolutely and that was you know that was the challenge for me I actually hid my my air under my bed because I knew I would be really, really tempted to keep going and grab it because 
basically, you know, the story of my life is I'm sitting on my couch, I'm watching something, I'm on my iPad, then some sort of urgent email comes in or at my last job, there's some sort of urgent news. I grab my laptop, I have to write the article super fast, or I'm writing something really fast. I'm toggling between a photo app or something like that. Um, and it's just, it's my second age, like it's not even second, it's just, I've got to get on my laptop. I can't do that kind of thing on my iPad. And, you know, I thought a lot of it might be, ha- might have to do with the keyboard. Um, and that's why I felt like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the iPad a fair shake in this too, because I want to see if I can actually morph this thing in. And of course, this isn't the first time I've used an iPad keyboard with my iPad. Um, but yeah, I came out, you know, really looking at all of these for my typical stuff, which I, I, I don't work in Excel every day. I, I, I write, I surf the web, I look at Twitter, I toggle between all types of apps. Um, and that's, you know, yeah, that was the kind of the nut of the piece. Can, can the iPad fit in there or can any of these tablets fit in there? And I, I, what was your what was your bottom line? Well, I mean, it depended on. Uh, so I, the way I broke it down actually was looking at specifically by each type of category the things that I felt that my laptop still does better than these tablets. I felt like that was kind of the fair way to look at these all. So that was multitasking. That was text input, so the keyboard, app selection, and then performance and battery life, the fact that you know people still think their their computers are going to be faster. Um, and so on each of them, I kind of, you know, it, it, it really did come that Windows 8, um, whether you want to consider it a tablet operating system or a lot or whatever they, they have, I'm not sure they know anymore, um, you know, did come out ahead, especially in multitasking. Samsung did some interesting things on top of Android, I think, to push multitasking on top of the um, some of the features Google already has natively. Um, so in most cases, Windows did come out ahead, and, and especially in you know app selection where you tried some VPN stuff. And there there is actually a lot of stuff that they now have for the iPad that you can't get as a Metro app. So there's that sort of hesitation. And then speed, you know, yes, the Surface 2 has this crazy processor inside. You're basically looking at a laptop inside of a tablet. But in the end, that's the perfect example where you've got lots of sacrifices for the fact that you're trying to cram in all of these traditional, quote unquote, traditional features into a tablet and and edit out where I don't want to give up my iPad because it's a better tablet than all of these. And I don't want to give up my laptop or the MacBook Air because it's a better laptop than all of these. I do think, and I, I have to admit, I, I mean, I've used uh, both versions of the Surface, and I'm familiar with that. Although I'm not with Windows 8.1, but I, I you know, with the um, I forget what they call it, but when you tile the two things on screen, yeah, the two apps side by side, right? I love that. It, it, but it works in a way because it was part of the fundamental design of Metro. I know they don't call it Metro anymore, but the whole, you know, it debuted with that feature where you can lock, you know, an app like 50-50 and share the screen, or you could just have like, for example, a Twitter app is a perfect example of something that you could give just one third of the screen to. And it's not at art, you know, you can't, it's not like, like Windows, not lowercase W Windows on, on Windows, on capital W Windows or Mac, where you can drag it to any arbitrary size, there's right. a couple of set sizes you can snap the multiple apps on screen to. Right. And then developers just, you know, know that we need to handle 
full screen case, half screen, and third screen, and two exactly. thirds screen. Um, and to me, that works in a way that the uh, that Samsung solution doesn't. And I have to admit, I haven't used the the Galaxy Megapad, but just looking at it and knowing that you, the apps have to be like specifically written to support that because it's not an Android standard feature. It's it's yeah, a, that was something. Yeah, yeah, and there there's major resolution issues on some of the apps, and even with some of the apps that Samsung has worked on, there's some flaky stuff. So here's a, um, I have a question for you. So is the web browser on the Galaxy Note Pro, is it is it their own browser, like just called browser, or is it Chrome? No, they have both. Does Chrome support the the crazy windowing, you know, snapping it to within a window thing? Well, see, they don't have like a necessarily set snappy thing. Um, they right. like you can drag around the size. It is very similar to Windows, where you can, you know, the desktop traditional desktop windows, where you can resize the size of the window. Um, no, they use it's it's just the stock Android browser, right? Um, not Chrome, right? And so and and so if you do launch Chrome, Chrome is going to run like it does on a regular Android device, and that's full screen. Yes, though you I think you can put it in its like um, no because they have the split screen. It's weird, right? Yeah, I mean they 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 force you towards using. This um, the internet, which says internet, it's browser. It's just right. I, assuming it's the stock Android browser. And that's the one that they have in their multitasking pane. And you know, I, I I don't think it's any secret that the best browser for Android is Chrome. Yeah. Right. It's not just you know the the internet one is really just sort of a. Well, it's like their leftover. Right. It's WebKit, but it doesn't have all that stuff that people love with Chrome, like tab syncing and stuff like that. Right. Um. And it just, to me, it's the fundamental problem with an effort like that, where it's just not baked into the, to the platform. And, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I said in the com, like Samsung's doing some interesting things on top of, of Android. Um, you know, I'm like, I do knock them in the, in the piece for just their usual, it looks like crap in a lot of places. Um, but the idea that you can kind of minimize apps and drag them around, it's an interesting way of thinking about it. Sort of reminded me of you know, the Facebook chat head thing. You can kind of move the little circles around, and you know, if I'm if I close one app, if I hit the minimize, I can then go tap the other circle and open open that full screen. I actually didn't use so much of. The, I mean, they they say you can put four apps on the screen at the same time. I never really did that. I just it was mostly two. All right. But still, I mean, I have to say, you know the. The where where I came out from looking at a lot of these things was really hoping that it, that there would that I would get better multitasking features on my iPad that that would be the dream scenario and that's where I think I could end up doing much more of you know my quote unquote work on my iPad if I had the ability to toggle between apps in a better way if I had the ability to put my email on one side and see um, you know my Google Doc or whatever right. Yeah, I think you get a lot of the way there. I mean, with with two at a time, you know. I do too. A thing, yeah, a thing where you're writing and a thing on the side where you're reading, or you know, a movie or a baseball game or something that you've gotten a video on one side, and the thing you're, you know, the email you're responding to on the other side. But two yeah. gets you a lot 
a lot of the way there. Absolutely. And I, look, I'm not saying even in that case, you know, I'm, I, I happen to do a lot of things on my computer, even though it doesn't sound like I do, but I just, you know, I, I live in expose, like it's, I'm constantly flicking between apps and using the trackpad. So, you know, I, I think even then I'm not sure, but I think I'd feel much more confident working on my iPad for a much longer period of time if I had just a little bit more to lean on for multitasking. You know, the one thing that really gets me, and I, I say this as somebody, like I said before, I've long been, as soon as I saw the iPad, I was, I was, a, I, I really foresaw a bright future for it. I, I, but I didn't know, like on the marketplace, I thought this is going to be great for most people. I didn't know from the get go whether it would be great for me. And it still isn't really for what I would consider work. I love it, for example, for triaging email. Like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I've got 60 unread emails. Go through right. them on the iPad first and just archive all the ones I don't need to, to re respond to. But then I go to my Mac when I want to write right. the ones you I need like to write. Right, you want to, like, sit down and, and hammer yeah. out stuff. Because I am I, I'm a terrible iPad typist on the glass. Same. Um, but well, I, much I, better. I know for a fact, though, that that's just me being – stubborn old crotchety i know how to type on a clicky keyboard and that's what i learned and i'm not gonna learn to do anything else like kids uh right who, and teenagers are typing faster than i type on a real keyboard on the glass it's 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 a problem that's you know it's it's just a habit generational right yeah uh, i mean that's what you actually had ended up saying about that typo keyboard that your son right thought it was insane right exactly that's the um the little snap-on thing for the iPhone that turned, gives it like a BlackBerry-style yeah. keyboard. Yeah, right. Right. And I actually, you know, in this piece, I, I did do typing tests on all of these laptop keyboards. And that was another place, you know, as much as you can say this mega tablet, you know, this mega pad is big, the fact that you get the wider screen real estate gives you a wider keyboard. Uh, mm. So I was able to type slightly better on that, though still the Surface just has a better keyboard. Um, and so I was able to you know, type 92 words per minute on my, my laptop, on my Air, but I was sort of down in the 80s on the Samsung keyboard, which is made by Zag and is not made very well, and then the Surface keyboard, which actually feels a lot better, even though it's narrower. Right. Though I, I think this whole area is so fascinating, and it's, it's, it, it's such an exciting time to be writing about technology because we don't know how it's going to turn out. And I feel like 10 years from now, and there's going to be a lot of answers to these questions. Um, but there's so many trade-offs involved. Totally. Like, form mm -hmm. factor-wise, ideally, you get good at typing on the glass keyboard on any of these devices. Because like you showed in the video uh, – there's a real fundamental difference between the literal word laptop and using yeah. one of these tablets on a keyboard on your lap right. because you, yeah, it doesn't work, that. right? Uh, oh, no. It's like it's really frustrating for someone like me who does spend a lot of time on the couch. And you're just like this thing is either digging into my leg or it's falling off or – yeah. And uh, when I'm on an airplane, I I like to type with my MacBook – on my literally on my lap, not on the tray, because the tray I feel yeah. like I'm up there at like my chin level. You yeah. know, it, it, and it, then you're screwed when somebody puts their seat back. Exactly. Even with a MacBook Air, it's right. It, it can be a problem when they tilt back. So I I do like to type, you know, on my actual lap lap. And same thing with a lot of conferences. Any conference where you go to, uh, where it's 
just chairs without any kind of desk in front of you. If you want to type notes, you've you're you've got to type on your lap, and there's just no way to do that with these tablets and a third party keyboard. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I I actually think like, and it's and I didn't get into that in this piece, but when you think about all this quote unquote innovation that's gone on with some of these Windows tablets, laptop, laplets whatever they're, they've all been called, things like the Lenovo Yoga and the twisting screens and all of those kind of things. I mean, sometimes the form factor makes sense with one of those, but there's just too many compromises with those. Uh, well, like what? Well, the fact that you've got a tablet locked on top of a keyboard and you can never take the keyboard off. Oh, exactly. Right. You know, or... Right you know, that you've got a trackpad sitting on the opposite side of your leg. Like, why do I have a trackpad on the back of my leg? Like, it's weird. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, like I'm happy ones... to get a trackpad implanted in my leg, but like, eh, I don't know if, you know, it's like, it's, it's trying to combine these two into the situation where, again, it comes back to, and I've, I've reviewed a number of these and there are sometimes you, you do feel like this is a really good laptop, but you never really feel like this is a really good tablet. Right. Um, uh... Now, the other trade-off, here's another one of those trade-offs that's involved, is when you are typing on the glass. And then that does allow you to type with the device, if you're good at it, you know, you can type with it on your lap. Uh, half your screen is taken up by the keyboard. So that's, you know, there's clearly a big trade-off there where if you do use an external keyboard, whether it's, you know, like the Surface where it's a cover and it, mm -hmm. and it connects, um, or if you're, you know using one of the ones that doesn't even connect like a cover of just a Bluetooth keyboard. Either way, you keep the full screen available for the content, which is a huge advantage. Right. You're not scrolling um, as much to see like two lines above in your email. But physically, form factor-wise, it wants, you know, the glass keyboard is what you want to use. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's been a lot of innovation in this space or messing with the form factor, you know, the slide-out keyboards, the keyboards that turn – but you know, then you're—it's just there's been too many, too many shortcomings and too many compromises to make for that. Right. So I, my, my work style is I—I I don't even have an iPad Air. I just have an iPad Mini, and I use it for, you know, reading and watching. I, I don't really type much on it. Um, you know, tweets, which is about the 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 length that I feel comfortable typing on an iPad. Right. Yeah, I also uh, have the mini too. This I, the air I just brought in for this, but right. I mean, it's and, uh, more portable for me to take the mini on the train every morning. Right. But I do like when I travel to cover a conference or you know a press event or something like that. I it's not I don't feel burdened by it. I feel you know I feel like different uses, different devices for different uses. I don't mind carrying both an iPad and a MacBook. No, me neither. I, I mean, I also carry a million other things though. So. Right. I don't, I'm not really the, the person there, but, and I, I, you know, I did get some, some flack for this column in the sense that, well, you know, the iPad is just good enough for most people. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, I think that's interesting. You, you had just covered the, um, is it Evan, Benedict Evans piece? Yeah. Is it? I think that's a really it, it. It comes down to asking these questions, questions that that he brings up that I kind of forgot about that we used to ask about desktops versus laptops, right? Like, what are you doing with it? How much power do you need? Um, and there are these there are these situations where, yeah, the iPad is probably just good enough for most people. My mom still travels only with her first generation iPad. 
Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. And she I, loves it for email, and she's actually very fast on it. Well, that's the thing. The thing that struck me right from the first one when they, the first event, you know, when they unveiled it in 2010, and and we saw the event, and then we had the hands-on area, uh, and I thought this is it. This is a computer that everybody can understand. Here's mm-hmm. your apps. You open an app, it gets the screen, and everything on the screen, you know, is something you can see that you can touch. It, to me, it was so clearly a, this is not this is a computer that won't confuse people. And I think you know, and you have, remember, 2010 for me was when I was in the height of covering netbooks, right? Right. And so I, I was I was hesitant. To, I, I wasn't as clear on seeing that. And I think, of course, Apple. I mean, the story has been written. We we know what happens. The iPad has become the alternative for netbooks. There's no doubt that in that in-between area, like I've just described about my mom and people who just do some light work on the go are completely fine with the iPad. Right. Yeah, and it, it was even in hindsight, I think, uh, I think it was even though Steve Jobs was still still there, I, it, it, in that netbook run-up, when they would ask like on the quarterly conference calls, you know, what are you guys going to do about these netbooks? I think it was always Tim Cook, because Cook was the one who was always on the calls. Jobs usually wasn't. And he would just say, uh, we have an interesting idea in that regard. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I think... But it's not, you, a, it's not a $400 uh, MacBook. Right. But um, I do. It's definitely the same use case. Of, it's the same use case. And then you think, really, Microsoft, who actually hated netbooks... Right, cut into their bottom line because they didn't like selling the licenses for less. They like, you know, and I've I've said this like they've kept trying to reinvent the netbook, you know, into these these Windows eight tablets, um, and that's not quite working for them. Right, I I think that it's there's there's a, a purist in me, you know, and it and I think your your column touches on it where it does seem somewhat wasteful that we're carrying too many gadgets. You know, that why can't we have – there's some way it just feels like there ought to be a way to have just one thing that's roughly 11 or 10 inches diagonal, and it's your only the only computer you need of that size. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was having dinner with um, David Pierce from The Verge a couple of weeks ago, and we said, like, well, what if, what if Apple did make a, some sort of iPad for work, right? Would that make a difference to us? Like, would we use that? And, you know, then it, we kind of started thinking, well, we have so much that we love about the Mac operating system. Well, what if, and then we just started describing it. We're like, well, then we just described the 11-inch Air. Right. You know, we kind of came back to like, oh, well, what if the 11-inch Air could get its screen taken off? Like, we could take the screen off, you know? And so we're like, well, then we're back to square one, which is we want the iPad, Right. And then we, like I kind of said, well, like they, everyone's been trying to do this forever, and there's there's too many compromises of when you take the screen off and you dock it, and it's a different operating system. It's just a mess, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and then it, it's it, you know, it, there's all these blurring of the lines, and I get a, we've been getting a lot of questions like, do I need this phablet if I have a tablet? Do I have a phone? You know, can I get rid of one if I have the other? So it's no doubt that one of these next big type of trends is how do we consolidate these into one or two devices it just seems to me that in the in the abstract sense it seems like they should be there should be just one device and maybe someday soon there will be but in the meantime 
in the real world, people don't mind carrying two. And I see it in airports and on airplanes all the time where there are clearly business travelers just based on how they're dressed. And they do something on like a ThinkPad or, you know, often even now it's it's more and more like I noticed a lot of business travelers with MacBooks. But, you know, and it's usually a lot of the times if you just, you know, nosily looking over their shoulder, an awful lot of the time it's uh, Excel or um, Outlook, Outlook. Yeah. right? And then they close the lid and take out an iPad for the rest of the flight. Right. And then in their pocket, they actually have an iPhone. Right. Well, it doesn't even matter. But right. it's, I, I see on the plane, you know, they, they do something that is clearly work-related on a notebook uh, PC and then take out an iPad for the rest. Right. Three news or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you know, people are are fine, but that that's the dream, right? The dream yeah. is one device. The dream has been this one device or maybe two devices with no compromise. And yeah. the problem is, is there's just always too much compromise. I I really I understand why iOS on the iPad doesn't have multiple apps on screen at once. And maybe you know, if these rumors of a bigger screened iPad Pro are true, maybe that would involve you know, what's the point of making the screen bigger if they're not going to allow more than one thing on screen at once? But even then, I wouldn't be shocked if it was still one, you know, every app gets the whole screen because of the simplicity angle and that for maybe 75, 80%, maybe even more of everybody out there, that's good enough because it makes everything simpler. Um, but the one yeah. thing I, that always gets me when I try to use a keyboard with my iPad is why command tab doesn't work. Command. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I right? that that I mentioned in the piece too. That would be great for me. If that because, even, even if that just took me to, you know, whatever it's called when you double tap on the home Right. Button. Exactly. Because they already have that yeah, interface, totally. right? You can double tap the, the home button. And in fact, iOS 7 makes it even better where you've got these thumbnails of the windows that you can I know, go you between. You can peek into them, you know? Right. I, that, that's like a trick I love. Like I peek in, I'm like, okay, it's that's the number that I need to, you know, put in this email or something like that. Um Totally agree. I, I really don't understand why. I, I don't know. That to me is one of the biggest uh, WTFs of iOS 7, especially and, you know, iOS I think 7. About, when I think about all the features they've brought from iOS to the Mac OS, one of them being full screen apps, right? I don't use it that much. It's useful. There's, of course, other other features they've brought over. But if I think about the things that I most want from my my Air or from, from my Mac OS or from Mavericks or whatever to come to the iPad. It's some sort of expose um, mission control type of thing yeah. where, which is similar to multi, the multitasking view where I can see into the apps and tap on them and easily move between them in an easier way. And perhaps, yes, of course, see more than one app at the same time. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I don't know, I just really, because I, I do, I actually hit command tab when I have a keyboard hooked up to my iPad, because it's really? just, yeah, because it, it's and like And you use a command tab a lot on your, on your Mac. Yeah, uh, just nonstop. I mean, it's, it's just probably one of the most hardwired. What kind of know. Mac do you have? You use a desktop? Uh, I have a, yeah, big extra, a big external keyboard 
on. I have a, it's a MacBook, but it's connected to an external keyboard. Yeah, but even, and see, like I'm on expose expose all day long, like swiping four fingers up on the trackpad all all day. Mm. Yeah, which I is don't use my, my way of, of moving around. But either way, I need to switch. And it's like, you know, I'm writing an email and I know I want to paste this URL in and I know the URL is right there in Safari. And I know I was just in Safari. So it just feels like one hit of command tab should take me back to Safari. Right. And or, it's, or easily be able to get between Safari and you know, Twitter and or whatever you're there. If they added that to iOS 7, it would come at absolutely no cost to the regular user who never hooks up a third-party keyboard, you know, an external keyboard to their iPad. Right. And oh, they have no idea. even if they did, even if a non-technical, typical consumer did connect like a Bluetooth keyboard to their iPad, wouldn't they expect Command-Tab? To do that, I mean, because Command Tab is one of those things that's yeah, it's a little abstract and nerdy, but it's so universal. Oh, I think it, yeah, and it work. It does work on that Samsung. It does work natively in in Android. Yeah, it's just it, it just does. seems I mean, like a glaring hole to me because it's you know just I don't know. I'll shut up about it. Uh, no, it's. Me th- a, I mean, it, it's a. I mean, also my dream is also that Apple ends up making one of these keyboards because these other keyboards are just not very good. I mean, oh, fine. you mean like a cover? Yeah. Or something yeah, I mean, the Logitech is the best that you're going to get, but it's still not very good. Yeah, I had, I think I lost a bet with somebody at the uh, at the iPad press event last, the, the most recent one in October. Uh, I I, th- I think it was because the invitation, I could be wrong. I think the invitation, you know how they always put a slogan on it. It said, we have a right. lot to cover. Right, right. And everyone thought they were going to have a, a Surface-like cover. Yep. I, I lost like a, a, I'll bet you a beer bet with somebody. Mm. I think it was Clayton Morris. I forget. But I, I mean, it would have been awesome. I, I mean, and Apple sells the Logitech in their stores, I believe. I think that's the one that they sell. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's potential there, I, you know, to, yeah. to sort of to bridge this gap. You know, like, you know, more or less there's just this whole middle ground that is sort of, you know, there's things that are the best for laptops and there's things that are clearly the best for tablets, but there's this middle ground where all of these devices approach it in some way, but none of them is ideal. Totally. And you know what? That might be like the small thing to me that, you know, one or two features that lets me keep my laptop home for the weekend and go on a trip with, with just my iPad. Hmm. Though, I mean, I, I sometimes do that anyway when I try and say to myself, I'm not going to work. I agree. Let me take a break and thank our second sponsor, and it's our good friends at Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. You know, if you've ever registered a domain name at a typical registrar, it's a totally unpleasant experience. All sorts of scammy ads on the side, all sorts of upsells, checkboxes that are marked by default, and you have to uncheck them, and they're written with double negatives, so you're not even sure which way you're supposed to put the check mark, so that you don't get the thing that you don't want to buy. Hover is completely opposite. It's uh, super simple, totally straightforward, no upsells, uh, totally honest. They have a huge variety of domain extensions to choose from, all the good classic ones like .com, .net, .org, of course. Uh, But they also have new ones like .io, uh, just a ton of all these new ones. And so you can get uh, really cool domain names that are probably no longer available like in .com or .net. 
uh, really good search interface so you can find uh, the domain that you want. They have terrific customer support. Uh, no wait, no hold, no transfer phone service. You just call them up and you get a real live person ready to help you. Uh, here's one of the most amazing things. This is the thing that I, to me is the most amazing thing about Hover is what they call valet transfers. So they're experts at domains. Most of us are not. Most of us, even if you're like me and have a sort of habit of registering domain names every couple months when you think of something cool and you never use it, uh, we're not DNS experts. They are. So if you have a domain name uh, that you registered somewhere else and you want to move it to Hover, you don't have to do it yourself. You can just go to them, use their valet transfer service, and they'll do all the work for you. And it's at no addition, this is the most amazing thing, no additional cost. They do all the dirty work of moving your domain from your crummy current registrar to Hover. They do it for you. I'm already thinking uh, about doing this right now, yet again, to cut off your sponsor, but... <laughs> It's a great service. It sounds I mean, too good to be true, but it's, I have, it really I mean, is. Just first of all, going to the site, which I, again, never heard of. Do not get paid by Hover. Just a, just a disclaimer there. It's like it's like if GoDaddy is hell on earth <laughs> and you're burning in a fire, that's GoDaddy. <laughs> I mean, they're not they're not a sponsor, are they? No, I would not. <laughs> I honestly i i I would not accept a sponsorship right. from GoDaddy. Hover uh, looks like clouds and a hotel bed that's just like with room service. And again, I just want to say that I'm not, I do not work for Hover and I've no. never even known about Hover till you've said anything about them. But I own some really weird URLs that redirect to my home, uh, to my joannastern.com. And I, I, I'm going to see if I can get this concierge on it. It's amazing service. They've been around for a long time. Uh, they have great prices. There's just nothing not to like about them. Where do you go to find out more? Easy. Go to hover.com slash talk show. Hover.com slash talk show, and they'll know you came from here. Uh, can't thank them enough and can't recommend them highly enough. No, I've never met a single person who's ever regretted using Hover to register domains. Oh, so They just got another customer. There you go. They're absolutely amazing. They are company. going to be helping acadapterreview.com. You moved <laughs> over. <laughs> you know, what? you own acadapterreview.com? There was a time where I was unsure. I was unsure if I was going to be in work. And I thought maybe this is, you know, it, it's, it's also funny. We're seeing this happen now where these like really niche sites pop up around whatever the biggest new trend is, right? We've got like smartwatch central watching right. out for smartwatches.com, you know, we, you know, up to the minute on smartwatch.com, you know, all I, of these I saw a domain. I saw one a couple weeks ago, right before the, it was in the run up to the galaxy S five being released. It was a, I forget the exact name, but it was effectively Samsung galaxy S five rumors.com. Right. <laughs> right. They come up with like the craziest. I mean, I mean, also, this used to be a running joke at when we were at the Verge. Like, you know, there are these crazy, like, it would be all this hype around something like netbooks. Around the netbook time, there were like tons of netbook sites, and we, we bought netbooknudes.com because there was <laughs> netbook. I wonder where that even redirects now. Anyway, you know, so I, I was like, guys, I think the next big thing in reviews. Are AC adapters. There's no place for people to go and get their power strip re reviews. 
And so I bought uh, AC Adapter Review, and that does redirect to joannastern.com. And I, I, I don't know. I just keep getting – every month I get emails from GoDaddy saying, you know, your renewal, blah, blah. I, I delete them. They call me. They, they have my number. So I'm going to be giving Hover a call. Here's, here's a question for you. I've been thinking about this a lot and because I've, I've, the last couple of hotels I've stayed in have had it just it, different hotels, but that it seems like a standard um, uh, piece of electronics now are these uh, bedside table lamps with an AC adapter built into the base so you yeah. can plug. But they they – they never fit the iPad size adapter. It 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 right. doesn't quite fit. You have to use like the phone, the iPhone adapter. Right. Um, it's like a very small space for the prong to fit in. Right. Yeah. And and it's annoying because you, a lot of times when I travel, I don't even I don't take a phone size adapter. I just take the iPad adapter because it's it's higher wattage and the iPhone charges just fine on it. Whereas yeah. an iPad doesn't charge. Right. On it an takes iPhone. forever. Right. Uh, but they don't plug into the base. And it's like, I feel like these hotels, they can't win, you know, because they, you know, five, six, seven years ago, they were all putting the 30-pin iPod adapters on the, the bedside radios. And now, you know, those things Look, are... John, I would love to have you file your thoughts on this. Well, here's my question for, for you. For acadapterreview.com. Here's my question for you. How long do you think... Now taking submissions. How long is USB, the standard USB port, going to be... Uh, with us because wouldn't that be the ideal is to have just have a usb port and so you don't even need your adapter you would just plug the cable in right well they they sell the um like you can rewire the uh what's it called your outlet to have a right. usb yeah they should just have that there for sure that's what i think hotels should do is put you know, I have seen that. At put a USB slot hotel. next to every bed, and then you don't have to worry whether they're using iPhone or Android because everybody's cable has a, U- a USB right. plug on the one side, and then the phone, you know, whatever whatever plugs into your phone on the other. I but mean, I I'm worry. Assuming USB will be around with us for a while. The USB consortium will probably be upset if not. I think so, and I, I, you know, but famous, you know, as someone who follows Apple, it's like I guess it's it's never safe to get too attached to any port. Yeah. Uh, but I can't see USB going away. Me neither. I mean, I can't I, see the standard going away. But the question is, do they change at some point right. the size of the the connector because it can be smaller because everything can be smaller. Right, but it's not too big. I can't, you know, again, famous last words. Right. I can't see the MacBook Air getting so thin that a, a USB port would be too too high. So I, you know. We're kind of getting there. Though. I guess it's kind of close. I don't know. But there's, you know, certain minimum distance just for the keyboard to have keys that go down. Right, right. So the travel's good. But maybe that's, you know, part of my lack of foresight is, you know, the fact that I'm too attached to a keyboard with keys that go down. I don't know. But anyway, wow. that's my to idea. To sum up hotels. everything we've talked about. Yeah. that's I'll, I'll write it up for acadapterreview.com. Good. We're looking forward to having your submission. Right. Same thing with airplane seats. They should have USB ports. Uh, uh, Virgin does. And Virgin I feel like does. Ev- everybody uh, should do that. Does Virgin have it? 
Delta has, does Delta have it? Underneath, well, underneath the seat, they still have the traditional outlet. Hmm. Who was I just flying that had a, hmm. But yeah, I agree with you. We, we should yeah. have, out, we should have USB ports everywhere. Yeah, and it just feels to me like they could do that. It should be easier to put USB ports on the seats than to put AC adapters. Yeah. I see USB adapter review.com. But I do worry that I'm, you know, that they're going to take my advice and then by the time they roll it out in the fleet, USB is going to be antiquated in some way. Um, So uh, the flip side of this same thing of where tablets for work, you know, $15 for USB adapter review.com at Hubber. Just throwing it out there, granny viewers. (laughs) Uh, the the tablets as laptop replacements is i think uh, for obvious reasons you know and your review did so centered around the the 9 10 11 inch tablets because that's you know the size of a keyboard and the size that we consider for work uh on the using tablets for things but not worrying about replacing a pc laptop side are the small tablets the macbook or, I mean, the iPad mini, um, Nexus 7, uh, the smaller Kindle, uh, and probably the better competition, because I don't think any of those have really put too much of a dent in the market. But the bigger thing is the phablet craze. Right. Uh, and as much as I hate that word, I really do. Yeah. I think there's no doubt, though, that, that what is driving the big ass phone market is people who want the best of, you know, who want it. That's one way of consolidating two devices into one. It is that they, they want to do tablety type things uh, and they need a cell phone and one device with like a five and a half inch diagonal screen, or even some of these even have like a six inch diagonal screen uh, gets it done. And it's, you know, it's clearly a thing. It's it's and I think it's a huge part of the high end of the Android market. Definitely. It is definitely a thing. And I just wonder how far of a thing it's going to be. Is it and I and I sit here like playing the gender card, which is that I don't necessarily love to hold these big phones um, and just find that I can I just prefer using the seven inch to eight inch. And I think that's a sweet spot versus a bigger tablet than carrying around this massive phone that I can't really fit in the back of my pocket. Um, that said, like, you're right. I mean, you definitely get more of that screen real estate. And when I'm using it, and, you know, I've used the Note. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the pen. I just don't, I, I think it does some interesting things, but I don't end up using it on a day-to-day basis. That, yes, it does take that place of the tablet, but I'm not in, the, in most of my day-to-day tasks using my phone for some tablety things hmm. like yeah do i want to see more of google maps on my screen maybe yeah that's that's actually a good good case right there but for the most part on my phone all day i'm like you know, text messaging looking something up real quick um and then probably looking at twitter or some sort of social feed well i mentioned a few weeks ago on this show i think it was when Jason Fried was on that it's it's actually a remarkably similar size that uh, an iPhone five or five S the screen size just the screen is about the size of a standard business card 
It is. Uh, One thing I discovered in my business card piece. Uh, and it's interesting if you think about that because you would never read in the old days, pre-digital. You wouldn't buy uh, – like if you were getting you know, at the airport, getting on a plane and you're going to buy a paperback to read. You wouldn't buy one where the pages were the size of business cards. But yeah, like right. if you're going to try to read an iBook or a Kindle book on your phone, you're effectively reading – a book with business card size pages, whereas you know on these really big phones, the five to six inch phones, you've effectively got a screen size that's about the size of a small paperback. Right. I mean, I think five is not large at all. Right. Five is you're looking at like something like the Galaxy S, and the I I happen to think the four point seven inch Moto X is the perfect size for a phone. I love that the size of that phone. I love holding that phone. It's the six inch where then you're making some of the compromises. Like you say, paperback, you might put that paperback in your pocket or if you've got a bag, no problem. But it just seems. One hand use is out the door at that point. Right, right. Uh, I mean, it's not even an argument. It's, you know, it's, you've really got to hold it in two hands. Uh, I think even with the new, um, uh, the Galaxy S5, which isn't huge Mm-mm. by those standards, but it's big. Uh, it seems pretty clear, though, that they intend it to often or largely be used with two hands it, just because of the way that the fingerprint scanner works, that you have to do this swipe yeah. down. There there seems like there's no way that you could practically do it while holding it in one hand. Yeah. You kind of need to hold it in one hand and you put your, you know, you do your finger with the other hand. Right. I guess I, I think there's these different segmentation, there's a different classification to these sizes, which is like, I don't think anymore that a 4.5 to 5 inch screen, or 5.1 in the case of the Galaxy S5 is big. Like, I don't see that and think, oh, man, that person has a really big phone. Like, I think that's normal now. But I do see someone with the six inch HTC, what is it, HTC one mega yeah. Or the or the Samsung Galaxy S Mega or whatever Samsung whatever they're all Mega, um, and I see that and I'm like that is giant, like that looks like a tablet to me. Uh, I totally agree, uh, but it's clear that some people want that, and you know, and it makes sense if you don't want to buy a separate tablet. Tablet. Yeah, and uh, I you know I as much as I do use my iPad and I I do end up looking at a lot of thing on my a lot of things on my phone. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, I think they're like, you know, maybe Apple or some of these companies are just not doing a good enough job letting me pick off, letting me pick up, like when I leave my phone, letting me pick up on my iPad, right? Like the, the, it's not seamless enough there because I'm like, oh, let me just grab my phone because I know I was doing something on there or my text was there. My, not my iMessages aren't always coming through to my iPad. Um, so there are definitely situations where I spend you know, I'm laying in bed and I'm looking at my iPhone more than I am my tablet sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because I think, and I, you know, I'm willing to try it, but uh, I'm a bigger fan of iOS than I am of iPhone hardware. So just as a hypothetical, it'll never happen, but as a hypothetical, I would rather use iOS running on some other device, like say the Nexus 5 hardware. I'd rather have that hardware running iOS than have Android or Windows Phone running on an iPhone 5S. Oh, interesting. I never knew you felt that way. No, it's iOS that I'm... And same way with with 
PCs. I would rather buy a if 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 need be, if I had to choose, I'd rather have a ThinkPad running Mac OS 10 than a MacBook running Windows or something else. Not even close. I mean, I wouldn't even hesitate on that one. But you would definitely, definitely rather just have a MacBook, a MacBook Air, right? Running Mac OS 10. But you know, it's the software that I'm more attached to than the hardware. Even though I appreciate all the details of Apple hardware. Um, yeah, that's funny. I don't. I I would. Pro- well, there's some cases where I would much rather have. Uh, see, I would much rather. I think I'd just much rather have my iPhones in some cases. I mean, I really love the hardware of the Moto X. Uh, but the, yeah, I've been carrying around both of those, the Moto X and my iPhone. It's an interesting thought experiment, though, right? Yeah, it is. Because, interesting. I mean, I I wouldn't mind having Android. Hmm. If I could bring the iPhone apps and the iPhone camera to the Moto X. Yeah, but the camera's hardware. Yeah, well, then why would I get it? I, I mean, there's... All right. I'm not going to give up my iPhone because of the camera. Like the camera is better than any other phone out there. And I'm, you know, yeah, the, if the Lumia fans are listening to me, you, you can find me on Twitter. Like, <laughs> you know, I, there, that's the thing about the Moto X, which is, you know, it's a, it's, it's a really nice phone to use. It integrates way better with my Google services. I just, I really like using the phone, but like, it's not the phone I'm taking out to take a photo. Right. And, and the, I just also don't love the, the apps that I have on my iPhone feel better. Uh, well, I say this because I think, you know, and, and if the rumors are right that Apple is working on a bigger screened iPhone, and I've, I've, I've gone back and forth, I don't know how they're going to play it. Is it going to be just like all previous years where here it is, this year's new top-of-the-line iPhone, and now the screen is 4.7 inches diagonal or, or whatever? Uh, or are they going to do it like they did with the iPad last year where here's two sizes of the exact same, you know, the new A8 system on a chip and you don't really, you know, the same camera, there's no qualitative, you don't have to make a decision on which one's the higher end machine. You just pick which one's the size you want because I think I'm still going to prefer the smaller size, the four inch size. I don't think, yeah, I really do. I'm willing to, you know, to test it and live with it. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough that I, hopefully I'll get a review unit and I can try it without actually buying it. But, uh, you know, and I'll try to keep an open mind, but I really like using my iPhone one handed and it's, you know, no, I've always liked gadgets. But you can, you, you'll see, I mean, have you used the Moto X? Uh, no, you should. I just think it is the perfect sized phone and it is 4.7, which is the rumor about Apple. Yeah, I've I have and used... I just I mean there's I'm holding both of the the, the four point the four point seven inch Moto X. Let me take my case off my iPhone, and I do not feel a difference in my hand. Hmm. They they've stretched the screen to the bezel, and I think you know Apple will probably do some really interesting type of trick to make the actual overall device size yes. smaller. I mean relative. it's like a very it's like a hair you know it's probably a half an inch wider. Right. Uh, the the Moto X, but it, you know, this, if, if this phone is sitting on a table, um, nobody says to me like, oh, your phone's so big, you right. know, like what's wrong with you? You know, when I first started carrying around the Galaxy S, you know, when, it, when the three, people were like, what, your phone's huge. You know, people have also gotten used to that, 
but it 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 doesn't feel that different than my five than my iPhone five. Yeah, I I feel like the bigger phones. It's exactly to me the same sort of socialization progress that using a full size tablet as a camera. You know that it 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 as the time goes on, it just seems sillier and sillier, or less silly and silly because you see so many people doing it that it becomes normal. You know, and it's the same thing with these bigger phones, where at least at the you know, it, in the five inch ish range, it is normal. You see, because you just see so many of them. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, who knows? I, I mean, now I'm also holding the, the Galaxy, the uh, sorry, the LG G Flex, which I reviewed a couple of weeks ago, and um, you know, with the curved screen, and this has a six inch screen, and it's just huge. So I don't know. I, I really I I've, I talk about this like probably with every every other week on this show is what is Apple going to do with this big phone thing? Because I just don't see them abandoning the four inch size because it's so popular. You know, it is. I, I don't, and I know that it's the the reason that people buy. You know, go into a store and come out with an iPhone is not just screen size. It's not that people go in and say, well, I want a four inch phone. You know the dynamics of why people choose which phone they get are super super complicated. But it but is. What if? What what if you know, Tim Cook or Schiller will do the presentation, right? Comes out and says, "We've put a four point seven inch screen in basically the same size form factor as the iPhone five S." Right. And it, I mean, yes, they're going to have to. There's no way they have. They have to. It's, Make it the screen wider. has to be drawn to the edges and the, the small bezel has to go away, but something to that effect. I would guess that if they do it, I would guess that that's how they would pitch it. And I guess I think, and you know, not just pitching You're getting it. more screen and then they show all these Android phones that right. are like, look at this bezel. And it's some also better screen technology, which is what Tim Cook has said now for two years almost. We'll do it if it makes sense, if there's a better, if the screen technology catches up. Right. Yeah. And I, I wonder what that, what he means by that. I can't help but think that it might have something to do with um, like going edge to edge. Right. That's what I think. Right. And I like, think I don't it think also it's so much about resolution. Yeah. I don't think it's so much about resolution because I think that. I think if they wanted to, that's that's a licked problem. You know, they could make it whatever resolution they wanted to at this point. I totally agree, and that's why I think they they come out and say, "Look what we did." Right. Similar to the Moto X, because that's what that's what Motorola talked about. Oh, and the other the other engineering, the other like technology thing, I think too is screen size, or I mean battery life, because the bigger yes. the screen, regardless of resolution, the bigger the screen, the more energy it takes. Because it's just you're lighting up a bigger area. You're totally right. I'm actually going to dig up that quote because he said something about the compromises we have to make for these bigger screens. Uh, and I know, like for example, that they, you know, you have to just pick a few constraints that you won't budge on. And with iPads, it's always been one of the like things, the the rules that they will not break, and they'll do anything they can, you know, whatever they have to do to keep it, they'll do it. Is ten hours of battery life. Um, and so for example, that's why when they first went retina with the iPad, with the iPad three, that it got thicker and heavier because they had to put in a thicker, heavier battery because they weren't going to break that 10 hour of battery life thing. 
Like who? I don't know what if they would have kept the thickness the same as the iPad two. I don't know what the battery life would have been. It would have been reasonable. It would have been like I don't know. Maybe let's just pull a number out. Seven seven hours of battery life, which isn't bad, but ten hours is you know that's yeah. their definition of an iPad. And there's some similar metric for the iPhone too. And I can't help but think that that's one of the reasons they haven't gone, haven't had a bigger screen yet. Yeah, you're probably dead on right there. That's probably exactly part of it, though. Which is which is exactly when you think about something. Well, the Galaxy S4 didn't have bad battery life, but with some of these bigger screen phones, they fit in a bigger battery because they just there's there's more size and there's space for it. Yeah. Which you can't see them doing because you they wouldn't that then you'd be sacrificing a sleep form factor. All right, so I want a prediction from you. Do you think Apple is going to come out with a bigger screen iPhone this calendar year? Yes. All right, I agree. Do you think that they will come out with it alongside another new phone in the existing size? Or do you think that the bigger size will be – that's the new iPhone? You know, my gut tells me, like what I've been saying here, is that they are going to figure out a way to make put a bigger screen size. And there's been all these rumors of 4.7 to 6, right? I, I don't – I whenever I read these rumors of the 6 – I, or you know, higher than five. I, I do. I'm like, oh, is that really what Apple's going to do? Um, but maybe they figure out on the 4.7 inch side that they're able to make the phone the same size in a way as the five as as the current five as yeah. the five S. And then there's you know, basically you're getting more screen space for no no bigger size phone. I mean, I think it has to be a little bit wider, but. You know, maybe that's not really noticeable to people. And then maybe they have another size, bigger size phone. But that's still, I'm shaky in that territory. Yeah. I'm just not sure they're going to go higher than that. So I, I don't know. I don't, that, that part I'm unsure of. My, but yeah. my there still will be four-inch screens. But they'll be the, I, they'll be they'll the be older the, ones. the previous versions. Right. Yeah. My gut feeling is that they're only going to do one. And it'll probably, this is what I'm, what I'm thinking, is that it'll be like four. 4.5, 4.7, somewhere in that range. And it's that's the new iPhone. And they'll I, I think that the this form factor, the five, the the metal 5S uh, form factor goes away. Yeah. And they keep the 5C form factor and they just put uh, a you know the the fingerprint sensor and the A7 in there. That makes sense. Uh, and that just drops down to the the ninety whatever the lower tier the right. mid tier. All right. It just seems more Apple-y to me that they'll say we've figured out this is the best size for a phone with today's technology. Even though right. my I, I'm worried about it because I like this size so much, but I feel like the Apple way of doing it is to say, "Don't worry." Uh, you got to check out the Moto X. I like send you mine in the mail. All right. You got I think you're or, or just you know go to the store and pick it up because. Yeah. I mean, I think you really like it. No, I will. I should. You know, I saw and, a guy on the train this morning with it, and he had his finger in the back. There's like this little dimple in the back, and he just looks so happy. Uh, I was like, you just look so happy. And then I saw a guy working on his BlackBerry Q10, and you know, he didn't look any less happy, but I knew inside he was less happy. Let me take another sponsor break, and then we'll get to that, because I want to talk to you about 
smartphone upgrade plans, which you just wrote about this week. Yeah. Uh, uh, favorite topic. But I want to take a break first and thank and our take third sponsor. as long as you need with the break. Uh, and our next sponsor is our good friends at An Event Apart. An Event Apart is the design conference for people who make websites. Uh, they have upcoming events in San Diego, Boston, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Austin, Texas, and San Francisco. Uh, easily one of the best aspects of an event apart is they come near you. It's not just one thing each year and you have to travel somewhere. Uh, they have more events than that too, though. When you check out the website, you can see other cities that they're coming to in 2014. Uh, an event apart was founded by web visionaries Eric Meyer and Jeffrey Zeldman, and it's dedicated to the proposition that the creators of great web experiences deserve a great learning experience. Uh, I've been to an event apart uh, at, at, at least twice, I think three times, and it is really one of the best conferences I've ever had. And every time I've gone, uh, and it was, you know, each one never within the same year, but every time I leave, I come out and think, uh, I got to redo this part of my website. Uh, really great stuff, really great content. Uh, everything about it is good. Their food's good. The little, uh, even the badges are super nicely designed. Uh, where do you go to find out more? Go to, here's the website, aneventapart.com slash talk show. And then they'll know you came from this show. Check them out. If you build websites and you haven't been to an event apart, or if you haven't been recently, you really owe it to yourself to go. Uh, my thanks to them. So one of the things that's gotten easier. Uh, Did you like how I didn't bother you there? I didn't even I, I, interrupt your sponsorship there. Well, I didn't mind because uh, your previous interruptions were were solid gold. I mean, I okay. think you I, you've actually like purchased things while I was <laughs> reading them. True. true. Uh, I, I think it's too much to ask you to sign up for a conference yeah. <laughs> while I'm reading it. Uh, yeah, but though JoannaStern.com, which does redirect from acadapterreview.com, uh, does need some work. So, yeah. Um, so, it's smartphone upgrade plans. Now, this is very, very U.S. centric because the U.S. cell phone market is perverted compared to the rest of the world. Uh, it's it's really weird. And it's I really know terrible. everybody else in the rest of the world looks at our, you know, our cell phone market, and it's 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 like like the the phone equivalent of not having running water. Uh, yep. But it's starting to change a little bit, and I think you know there have been a couple of pieces that people have written recently that that I think rightfully attribute it to T-Mobile. That T-Mobile yeah. is shaking things up, and you know I think. You know, we, everybody complains about the government when the government makes mistakes or stands by and lets bad things happen. But I think this is a case where government regulation regulators did the right thing, where they rejected AT and T's uh, yep. attempted merger or acquisition of T Mobile two years ago on the yep, basis the that it would harm competition. You know, that four was already maybe too little, and three would would just it would just make things worse. Uh, and I think we're seeing that they were right because it's T-Mobile who, who you know, was AT&T wanted to swallow, uh, who's shaking things up with really different plans. I mean, it started with them trying to sort of do away from traditional uh, 
subsidized two-year contract pricing. Right. Uh, yeah, but what else? What I mean, what else is T-Mobile doing that is shaking up the industry? Well, yeah, I mean, subsidies was the main big thing, right? Which is actually what's enabling these early upgrade plans. And again, they were the first, T-Mobile was the first to start with this jump plan. Jump uh, does actually stand for something that's like, I forget now. Um, they they were the first this summer to say, you can get a phone. Now, it was they had said originally like at every six months, now you can actually get the phone whenever you want it, just as long as you pay half the the full price of the phone off. So that was one one area, right? These upgrade plans, which I talked about this week, and then they're they've got free international um, texting and uh, a lot of good international discounts as well. Um, and when you look at it, you know, the especially on the data fees. I mean, the idea that you can pay, I think it's seventy dollars for unlimited data from them, is just nothing offered like that from AT and T and Verizon. And does that, that includes has, tethering? They have an extra add on for tethering. I believe going to the site. I should know this. I should remember. I've memorized the sites at least for the as least for the early upgrade plans. I mean, honestly, quiz me, uh, and I'll tell you. You know, termination and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, I just I've heard from a couple of people who have switched and have been really happy. My my big um, hold on, I'm finding this now. My big hesitation on switching has been just data speeds. Um, and availability yeah. of data. Yeah, so it's $70. Where's the $70 per month for unlimited? Where's that thing that says? If you really want to get me just super angry about everything, it's about these carrier websites and how just such bullshit. Oh. Can we curse on this place? Uh, this place? Is this? Oh, yeah. Let it fly. Um. We were just talking about that the other week on the show that it's, you know, we don't swear a lot, but we did, we do, but we don't, somehow I've escaped the wrath of the iTunes explicit label police, but yeah, you can. Yeah. Well, actually the, the video I did on these early upgrade plans, you just did a quick video cause I did this, we were galaxy S five hell all week, but, um, the the piece started with me like cursing and bleeping and bleeping because it was just, <laughs> but is, are the, any of these plans actually a good idea though? Like. It seems to me like they're all too complicated. And whenever I see a plan that's complicated, I just assume I'm getting a bad deal. And that's, that is like, it would have been so easy if I could just said that, <laughs> but I had to get into the weeds on all of right. these plans. And there are so many weeds. It is just unbelievable how many little places that they are upcharging you. Yeah. And, you know, over the cost of two years, it comes out to about, Three hundred to four hundred dollars more, depending on the carriers you're paying. But the and, and the core of it does, and, and T-Mobile does offer the best deal. The reason for that, though, is that T-Mobile has significantly significantly cut down their wireless fees and the service charges. So you get seventy dollars unlimited data for unlimited. You can't even get unlimited data at Verizon or AT and T anymore. No. But if you were, you'd be paying two hundred or three hundred dollars a month. Yeah, and so, and everybody I know who still has the AT and T unlimited plan. If you go past five gigs, they they throttle you. Yeah, they, they've got their eye on the people who hold on to those plans, and it's not unlimited. Absolutely, and so. T-Mobile is actually, you know, T-Mobile said we're cutting the subsidies, so we're also able to cut the data down because we're not upcharging you every month for you paying off the subsidy. 
which is a good model. But then these other carriers, AT&T, Sprint, and Verizon have gotten in and say, well, we're going to offer the same upgrade plan, but yet they aren't really lowering your monthly data cost. So you end up paying more. And and they get you everywhere. And it's like, you know, then getting out of these plans is miserable because then you've gotten a new phone and then you're still paying towards the other phone. So, yeah. And then and just the websites, really. The websites are the killer. Yeah. So confusing. I have to say, I switched from AT&T to Verizon over a year ago. And I'm happier than I was. I guess I switched when I got the iPhone 5. So it's, you know, a year, year and a half-ish ago. Um, I am happier because it's it just was easier to put mine and my wife's phone on the same plan and share data. Um, but even so, every single month when I look at our bill, it's it's like some crazy number and there's some, you know, it's not right. just the, the number they quoted as the plan. It's all these crazy upcharges. Right. Even well, at though least we... you have a family plan because on the family plans in most of these places, you end up saving a little bit of money. All right. Um, but I, I can have a Framly plan on Sprint, which I'm still trying to figure out what the freaking Framly is. <laughs> How do they spell that? It's uh, F-R-A-M, yeah, Fram, F- F-R-A-M-I-L-Y. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. Right. So this is your friends and your family. <laughs> and and that was one of the, the in-the-weeds thing with Sprint, like – if you want to get this early upgrade plan, well, if you're on the Framley plan and you have 10 lines, you really will make it out. Like, you'll be, you'll really get all the money. And it's like, who is putting together a 10-person Framley? <laughs> it's, it, I mean, I, the hours I spent cursing at my computer uh, over the last do you week. Th- do you think it was like it's one guy, one, one marketing person who decided to combine friends and family into Framley and just sort of just – put it out there or do you i think it was more like a a three days series of meetings intense meetings (laughs) in a in a conference room with a whiteboard and yeah uh, definitely definitely everybody was sleeping on cots and had body odor by the end and then they came out of the meeting and there's some you know somebody hasn't had a shower in three days and they just shout family yep and he you know what he got a five million dollar (laughs) raise Why we have to sit here putting together a freaking family right. to get get the deals. And in the meantime, in most of the civilized world, in like in you know, most of the places I know of in Europe, you you buy a phone, you pay a fair price for it, uh, you know, which is by Americans and it sounds like a lot, but we are paying for you know, there is no free cake, you know, it's Yep. You know, your $199 iPhone, you're not getting it for $199. You're, you're paying $2,000 in contract fees over the next two years. Uh, in most of Europe, you buy the phone for a fair price, and so it's a lot more money up front. And then you just pay a very reasonable amount, like 50 bucks a month or something, and you get a SIM card that gets yep. data, and that's it. And if you want to, you stop paying it, and you get a new SIM card from another provider and pop it in your phone, and it works. Yeah, which is what T-Mobile is really trying to do here. Yeah, and it's and it's working. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems to be working. Well, I, it's it it resonates. It's you know it it their their marketing pitch sounds appealing because it is appealing. You know that there's no uh, right. There's no family. There's no family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, T-Mobile CEO did retweet my article yesterday. He was very happy with it. Oh, so, really? 
yeah. what's his name? Uh, he's, he's a little nuts. If he's listening, you're a little nuts. You know right. it. But it's cool. We, we seem to be enjoying the nuts of you. Of you. Right. And I well, also tweeted it. I think um, like, uh, who tweeted this weekend that they, had, that they were considering or they were going to switch to T-Mobile. And I retweeted and I said, you know, John Legere is doing keg stands right now to celebrate. And he tweeted back and said, yeah, I am. <laughs> Did he send a picture? <laughs> yeah. No, he didn't, but. Let me take this moment right here and do our fourth and final sponsor break. And it's our good friends uh, at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, online portfolio, podcast site, blog, store, just about anything you could do with a website, you could do at Squarespace. Uh, they're constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, new templates, uh, and even better support. Um, they have 20 highly customizable templates for you to choose from. You can take a template and use it as it is. You can take a template and tweak it a little bit, or you could take a template and get into the code, the CSS, the markup, and change it a lot. Uh, their tech support is amazing. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have over 70 employees on the customer care team. Uh, it's just incredible. Uh, plans at Squarespace start at just $8 a month. It's ridiculous for how much you get. Uh, but even there, you don't have to pay up front. What you can do is get started with a trial plan without a credit card. See how good it is. Make your own website and then sign up afterwards. Uh, what else do they have? Uh, they have online commerce. They've recently added that to the platform. So if you want to shop and sell, set up a shop, shop to sell things, you can do the do so right there in your Squarespace account. And they handle all the tricky stuff like the credit card processing, the security, everything like that. Uh, where do you go to find out more? Just go to their website, squarespace.com. You don't have, there's no special URL for the show. Uh, but they have an uh, offer coupon code, and this is how you can get a free trial and 10% off when you do sign up to pay. Uh, and the coupon code this month for this show is Yankees, Y-A-N-K-E-E-S. It's part of their uh, gimmicky campaign to, uh, to give each podcast they sponsor a sort of in-joke coupon code. So remember that. Then they'll know you came from uh, – this show this month, Yankees. I, I presume they picked that because the baseball baseball's in uh, spring training. I was just watching a preseason game earlier today before before recording. So my thanks to Squarespace. Check them out. Great, great friends of the show. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is wearables. Mm. Uh, and it seems like I think back to 2010 – when the iPad came out and in the run up, it was yeah. it, the basic run up was that Steve Jobs in t 2009 was on a medical leave. I think that's when he had the, the liver transplant and he came back to work in like the June, July timeframe. And, and everything I heard from inside friends inside the company is that he was, he was working on one thing and it was, you know, a lot of people said it was, they just called it the tablet and that, you know, ends up that was right that, you know, that, that that's when Apple went heads down and went from let's maybe do a tablet to let's do this, let's make this happen. 
And there were a lot of rumors in the run-up. You know, there was, you know, it wasn't a shock when Apple unveiled the iPad. Nobody knew exactly what it looked like, but it, the idea that Apple was working on a quote-unquote tablet was there was a lot of smoke for that fire. Uh, and I remember at CES, like a month or two beforehand, that was the one where Steve Ballmer came out and had all these. He was calling them slates. Yeah, the and HP it, slate. Right. Yeah, Which never shipped, right? Death, no, well, it did ship. And I actually, I don't have mine anymore, but um, it only shipped to business users. But remember, they completely scrapped it when they bought right. HP, which seemed like a defensive move to then the iPad, which was after that. Right. Uh, and, that, you know, so Microsoft seemed to come out with a, a sort of preemptive strike, you know, yep. like, all right, you want to do tablets? This is going to be tablets? We show you tablets. Here's our tablets. Right. And it was only after the iPad when the modern tablet market took form, which was, you know, largely in the form of the iPad. You yep. know, there's obviously differences and, you know, but it's the, the basic gist of what a modern tablet is was defined by the iPad. Uh, now we're, we've got rumors widespread for months going back to last year that Apple's working on one or more wearables, uh, including like a watch type thing. And... It seems like again, maybe it's not. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'm too Apple centric, and I attribute it to this. But it just seems to me like an awful lot of companies are trying to get out in front of it by putting out something. Yep. Uh, I'm a hundred percent with you, and I'm not all that Apple centric. I mean, I'm somewhat Apple centric. And I, I, well, I just can't help but think, though, that if it's true that Apple's coming out with some wearables this year, that it's going to be just as much a uh, what they come out with doesn't look like any of the stuff that we've seen so far. And then after Apple comes out with it, all those things that we've seen, they all just go away and everybody comes out with something that looks a lot like the thing Apple's going to show. Because I don't see anything that is compelling so far at all. You know, a lot of hype uh, this week with the Galaxy Fit, the Gear Fit, you know, but again, it's 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 so Samsung, like, you know, in my video, I was like, but, uh, you know, Samsung didn't only have one wearable this year. They've now got three, and that's in addition to the one that they had last year, which was a total flop. Right. So anyway, there's this Gear Fit, which has the curved OLED screen, touch screen. It makes you wonder why they even were bothering with the other one. Um and it looks nice. It definitely looks nice. Um, we'll see if it's any – I really didn't get to play with it long enough to see if it has any significant improvement over the gear software situation. Okay, but you've seen the gear fit. Yeah, yeah, and I saw it this week. It has like a long strip curved uh, – I'll put a, a link in the show notes. But it's it's a very different screen size than the the original gear, which is like a square screen. It's, it's sort of – Yeah, a, I mean you can think of it as um, if – people are familiar with the Nike fuel band, that right. there's just sort of a curved screen going along. The, but the, it, am I nuts? It's oriented the wrong way. Yeah, it doesn't seem to change the orientation based on either when you turn it or why is it not vertical, right? right. Are like you asking why is it not vertical? Yeah. Well, there's a reason why, like on a traditional wristwatch where – Yeah, I agree. What's top, you know, the 12 – is you know with your you're you're looking at your wrist with your thumb down and your pinky on top right whereas, like it should be icon stacked likely rather right. like top to I, bottom vertically i have then going horizontally right it just looks to me like you would need to really be like a contortionist to get the 
gear fit screen oriented in the way that it wants to be oriented. I don't know if there's a setting that lets you do that. It would, I, I, all I did was put it on. I played with the pedometer for a little bit. I played, I saw, you know, you can tap on the notifications. It had no notifications because it wasn't paired with the right phone at this event. Um, there was some, you know, other stuff in there, but they're really, again, saying that this doesn't have the app platform, quote unquote, as right. the gear does. Which, again, I think is kind of where everything seems to be missing the boat because I don't necessarily want to run an app on my wrist unless there's really some significance that it's going to add. So, you know, this one is, you know, it says that the word fit in it. It's mostly supposed to be a souped up fitness band. Right. Though I think it it does, because it has the LCD, it does support some more advanced cell notifications, some smartphone notifications. It looks cool. Uh, yeah, it definitely looks cooler than than the original gear. I, I just it just seems to me though like it just doesn't solve any actual real problems that people have. No, and I you know I've said this a number of times. Said this around CES. Like I'm going to put on the gender. There is not one of these that I would wear. Um, and I mean on a full time basis. Would I, right. And I'm not, I'm not counting Fitbits and I'm not ca- counting the jawbone up. You know, I do sometimes put on the jawbone up and, and wear it for a couple of days and then forget about it someplace. Um, but in terms of the smartwatches, the Pebble to me is still an eyesore for someone like me, a woman who cares what I look like. Um, I, I just can't wear any of this stuff. Right. I do see some uh, – there's one woman in this office that has the gold Nike fuel band, and I think that looks really nice. That's a nice-looking – it's a nice-looking design. Yeah, but it's it does a lot less, right? It's not a – it you know, band is the right word. It's, you know, it, it's not a full computer display. Right. I mean, that's sort of the problem that these ones like the Pebble and everything else have is that they're trying to put a, you know, a live computer display on your wrist and nobody's figured out a way to do it with the balance between, look, it's got to be big enough to be, you know, put some amount of useful information on it. But then if it's that big, how does it get power that lasts long enough that it's not super annoying Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just so many problems that to me, all these problems and nobody, nobody's really solved them right. And yeah. And, and the notification thing, you know, that is appealing to someone like me because, you know, I watch myself on the subway and I think to myself, well, someone has got to think I'm insane because I don't keep my phone out the whole time, but I pull it on and off of my, out of my jacket pocket. I was counting this morning, maybe 10 times on my mm-hmm. commute to work. And I, I am looking for, do I have a new email? Do I have any new Twitter notifications and texts? So I'm really looking for those three things. Um, and I'm constantly looking at the this front of my iPhone. So something like that, that gets the notifications right for me, would make a lot of sense. But the Pebble has so many, no, like, so many limits in terms of what you can get in notifications. There's just no way to narrow it down because it, it relies on the iOS on on iOS and so basically it's only pulling the notifications from the banners. So when you go and set your notifications, you it's kind of like a hack around it. Right. And you know it's like it just wasn't meant for it. I mean and it's right. not Pebble's and, fault. They're, right. Pebble's getting it, around it in a in a decent way. Right. 
but it's not good enough. Exactly. It's like it, it, I don't. I mean, j- and also like they're not designing for normal people. I think, but that's yeah. I really do agree with that, and I feel like whenever I speak up about it, it it's like I, I I get a lot of flack for it, and and I understand why, and it's because they are a true upstart. You know, they're a small team. They're truly independent. You know, it's it's. You know, it's not yeah, the same yeah, as no, criticizing totally. Samsung, who is literally one of the biggest companies in the world and right. kind of a jerky company. You know, that I can see why people take it personally, you know, because they're rooting for Pebble or they like what Pebble does that, you know, that I call them out on some of these things. But I, I the, my bottom line, though, and it gets back to like the whole personal technology angle. And I know the readers at Daring Fireball are not mass market, but I still try to have that humanistic view. And to me, it comes down to just a dollar is a dollar. And if you're going to charge somebody $150 for your Pebble or $250 for the Pebble Steel, that's a lot, you know, that's real money. And to me, a $250 device from Pebble needs to be judged on the same curve as a $250 iPod from Apple. Even right. though Apple is a billion-dollar company, and it's not exactly fair, and it's hard to be the upstart, um, but still, a two hundred and fifty-dollar gadget is a two hundred and fifty-dollar gadget. I agree with you there, and I and I think you know if you read most of the reviews of the of the steel, it's best smartwatch yet, right? I mean, right. There was as we started this conversation, how many tablets yet till the iPad right. arrived, or right. till you know? And, and I'm not saying Apple will be the one to crack it. There are a lot of other other interesting people throwing around names and this week you know lots of rumors of android of google working on the platform and it sounds like they might go the same route as letting their hardware makers take care of the hardware design and they'll make some sort of interesting platform though from some of the leaked stuff it doesn't look all that appealing but i'm sure they're they i mean htc and lg they make they can they can pull together some nice designs you know, and uh, it, to me, it's like I—I I almost it's I'm so lacking in imagination as to how anybody could solve this right, Apple or anybody, and and how to make one of these things that's truly compelling and feels like, oh yeah, that's something I'd go get in line to buy. Because, like, just for example, like I'm I'm a I'm a wristwatch wearer. I like to wear a watch. I like to know what time it is. Uh, but I. I, I just glance, it takes, you know, like like a quarter of a second. I just glance at my wrist and I see the time. So if it's a color display, like an LCD, it can't stay on all the time because the yeah. battery would wear right out. So, you know, like when people like the, the TikTok band that you could put the old square iPod right. Nano in, uh, you, you had to hit a button on it to get the time. So that just ruled it out for me. Style, style everything else aside... I mean, it, to me, it's useless as a watch. Uh, and I know that there's some now you can, like, shake them or something like that, and it uses a motion detector and comes on. But that's still too much. Right. It's like well, yeah, I just I mean, want to glance. And actually, it's interesting, again, like, I'm, I'm, I'm still sad that Google sold off Motorola because I think what they were doing with the Motorola where you get this act, this, I forget what they call it now, where it's it flashes the time and how many notifications you have. Um, I've, have it turned it, I've it turned off right now, but it pops that up every couple of seconds with the backlight off. Hmm. Uh, it's this low-powered mode. I think there's interesting things that, that could be done there. Um, but, yeah, that's, I mean, 
that's one of the main criticisms I had of the gear was that like it was not a good watch. Right. Also because like it took I would spend if the point of these watches are to be able to easily glance at stuff. I don't want to be tapping in and out of menus. I'll grab my phone if I want to do that. So it's that there has to be some sort of intelligence in these watches and and some customization options on our end to say, these are the things I do want to see in a more consistent manner. Obviously, the time being one of them. Right. What I see with the Pebble is that they, you know, and it's a reasonable thing, but that they they started with the idea that, look, we want to have much better battery life. Because I think you need to, right? Right, and, because that's what they have the e-ink. And so, yeah, but then everything they did after that, you know, is based on that starting point. And so they have e-ink, and e-ink, at least it's on all the time and you can glance at it, but it looks like a Palm Pilot screen from 1997, right? right? I, I mean, like if Apple came out with a device with a screen like that, everybody would, would go ballistic and, you know, start selling their Apple stock and calling for Tim Cook's head. So well, I don't see why, you know, Pebble can get a pass for that when Apple wouldn't. And it does solve the problem of battery life. I realize that. But, boy, it's really a sort of – And outdoor readability. Yeah. Right? Because the gear is also hard to see in the sun. Well, and Pebble kind of is too. Even though the e-ink is on all the time, you have to give it a shake to get the backlight on to see it – for me to see it in a lot of uh, lighting contexts. Right. Like it's there, but you'd, it's not glanceable. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's it's that is the question. It's like we can't even really imagine what's going to be the perfect wearable for us. Yeah, I really can't. I don't know how to manage that. Where it seems to me like to have a display that feels modern, uh, which to me almost certainly implies color, and it definitely implies you know some sort of retina esque resolution. Uh, and is visible at all times. I don't see how that's possible to keep it powered. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I really, I, I, it's. I mean, some sort of low powered mode that just shows you certain things at certain times. I really, I have no idea. I don't. It's I funny. I'm imagine. actually sitting in a conference room, and the guy right outside here is is, is wearing a pebble. God, so many guys buy, buy pebbles. <laughs> is it the old plastic one or the the, the plastic new, one? Yeah. I mean, it's a man. Like, it, I, look, I'm sure many women do not mind wearing it, but it is primarily a, a male device. I've, I've seen a lot of men on the subway wearing it too. Well, and I think that the steel it got more masculine. It did design wise. And I actually have a big chunky Michael Kors watch that I love right. to wear, but it it's also stylish and feels nice. So, well, and know. it's it's absolutely true that you know. I mean, I say this as an expert in fashion and style, but. <laughs> It's. It, I don't think there's any doubt that women's wristwatches currently are big. Yeah, they are. They're. They're like. I mean, I when I went to go buy this Michael Kors watch, I almost bought a man like a male watch, a men's watch. But even then, I'll. It, it, they're not as you know. And in some sense, bigger is in in watches. Bigger tends to be you know more masculine, and smaller certainly is more feminine. You know, when you get to you know the really small ladies' size wristwatches. But when I see women wearing, you know, 40 millimeter width, you know, or even bigger wristwatches, they're not masculine, masculine. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, you know, 
I don't know, not like the pebble steel. There is something about the pebble steel that to me well, is... Part of that is like the the rectangular screen. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I I think that's part of it. I mean, I I only, I only did play with it at CES, but I also said that it just felt like yeah. a cheap watch. It just felt cheap to me. Well, I, and that's one of the things that I just can't imagine what Apple's doing in this regard because I can't imagine Apple. A I certainly can't imagine them coming out with something that seems f- suitable or geared only towards men. But on the other hand, I don't know how you make something designed for the wrist that is equally appealing to men and women. Right. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. And I've been thinking about this a lot, too. And I, I've been looking at a lot of what women wear on their wrists. I see a lot of women wearing Fitbits. I see a lot of women wearing jawbone ups. And I definitely see them wearing the Nike Fuel Band. Yeah. So, you know, something in between that that doesn't necessarily look so sporty and does bring some sort of real value to wear every day. You know, maybe, maybe we, we take some sacrifice. We, we, we bend some rules there. I mean, like I said, I think the Nike fuel band, that gold version looks really nice. It's like a rose gold clip. Yeah. Uh, clasp. I mean, no, I've seen it, It, but it looks like jewelry, not like a gadget. Right. I mean, I also have a rose gold engagement ring. Like, I, I think it's just like my style. Hmm. Have you, um, you, <laughs> have you seen the uh, the gold Galaxy S five in person? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Though um, I, I sort of. I sort of blew up the internet with that. Right. I've, I've. You, you had know, a viral, I, a viral tweet. I completely went viral. Apparently in Korea. I like. I oh, woke really? up. Yeah, I woke up and I, I I went to bed like that day and it had like three thousand, two thousand tweet retweets, and I woke up and it had five thousand, <laughs> and I was like, "Holy crap! What happened?" Like my Twitter feed was like in ton, you know, tons of different languages, and like I was getting, I got some tweets back from people saying, "You've gone viral in Korea," and I was like, "Oh," and I like, I opened my Instagram and like random people had been posting it on Instagram. So, For anybody uh, who hasn't seen it, Joanna, it was a it was an image she posted to Twitter the day of the S five announcement, com- <laughs> comparing the gold S five to a band aid. But like it is so dead on. So we got yeah. it under embargo. We had the news, and I opened up the press release, and I was on the phone with Wilson, who's Wilson Rothman, who's my editor, and just all around great guy. And I go, Wilson fucking looks like a band-aid like it was like you gotta see the gold version and he opens it he's like it looks like a fucking band-aid it's funny too because it's like you think gold well how could you botch gold and there's a lot of ways and you'd think it would be more in the bling direction and that's what everybody when everybody kind of did like that tooth suck when rumors were that apple was going to do a gold iphone it was like ooh, really and I, i think everybody was thinking like you know, like when somebody replaces the chrome on their car with gold chrome, you know, door handles and stuff, it's there's a gaudiness. And that's, yeah, you're, it, that's what I think made the tweet so good is that the problem with the gold S5 isn't that, and again, I haven't seen one in person, but this is their own promotional photo that you were using. It wasn't right. like, like a doctored photo. It's funny because uh, you type it in and just random places have just posted it everywhere. I mean, if you just Google, Galaxy S5 Band-Aid, do you get yeah, your tweet? Yeah, you, you do. You get a lot of nice photos in the image search. <laughs> Somebody just also made another one close enough. Actually, he wrote like a meme style close enough with the 
I mean, it, it, it has to do with the dimples on the back, right? Because right. they have these things. Oh, definitely. But, I mean, it's soon, and I, I, I actually brought Band-Aids to the event hoping that they would have that version and I'd be able to do something fun in the video, but they didn't have it. I mean, to me, it does look gaudy. I mean, it looks, it looks cheap, uh, that version, that, you know, and then you, the other ones don't look like that. No, it, it's clearly the worst of them. I mean, and I, you know, obviously they're they're super big selling phones, and lots of people either don't mind them or or actually like them. But uh, it's almost like the 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 ex- example of design not being everything in the industry yes. is that I think most people, obviously, it you know which phone looks better is super super subjective, but. I think most people would agree that HTC's phones in general are better designed hardware. They just look better than Samsung's. And Everything they, is better designed with HTC. And Samsung's outsell them by like 50 to 1. Yep. It's, you know, it's there's a sad just, story. There's just so much more to it. But I, I almost feel like the, the, the people who took this the worst have got to be like the industrial designers at HTC because it's like right. <laughs> they've got to look at this and they just have to be like banging their heads against the wall like, what do we have to do? <laughs> we're we're going to get outsold by this thing, right? Yeah, I mean, Samsung yeah. has done things like on the notes where their their fake leather back actually has fake stitching. <laughs> it's right, just, which, is, which is much better than the slick, glossy plastic. Right, but fake like stitching, toy. really? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's much better. It like it, and that's the thing. Like you know, and and maybe I do, and some of us do. We give Samsung a pass sometimes because other things have been so bad. Hmm. Um, you know, and that's where I look at this design, and I was like, okay, they changed the plastic; it's waterproof. That that's good for me. Um, you know, still, it, it the black version and the white version don't don't look bad. Um, but, you know, there's certainly not anything close to an iPhone or an HTC or even a Nokia phone. Yeah. Oh, Nokia is another perfect example, I right. think. I think that their design and, is... And, again, the Moto X, I, I mean, I, I can't say enough about the form factor of the Moto X. Yeah. Yeah, that, that looks pretty cool, too. Um, no, I got... You know, when I made fun of the Galaxy S5 on Daring Fireball when it was announced, I said something to the effect of it's the perfect phone for people with no taste. And I got, you know, I do have, I love them. I do. If any of you listen to the show too, I really do love you guys is, is the people who sort of hate read daring fireball and that they're Android fans, but they read it anyway. And I, I do, I, I'm glad that, you know, that there are some of you who disagree with most of what I write and who read it, but I got an email from a bunch of them, and they're like, this is everything that's wrong with everything with Apple people. Any, anybody make something that doesn't look like an Apple design, you say it's for people with no taste. And I wrote back to a couple of them, and I, you know, I said no, because I'll just tell you, I think HTC makes really cool-looking phones, does great industrial design. I think Nokia is probably my second favorite industrial design right now today, next to Apple. And, you know, I, I think... Uh, Maybe even, you know, side by side compared to the 5C, maybe is doing a better job with the, you know, the textured plastic instead of the shiny oh, plastic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it goes toe to toe with Apple in terms of industrial design, even though it's different. It doesn't, you know, the Lumia stuff doesn't look like, you know, nobody's going to look at it and say that looks like Apple kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just a knee jerk. If it doesn't look like Apple, it's crap. It's, it's no, this is actual crap. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 
To me, though, and I've said this for a number of Samsung reviews, you know, to me, the real pain of of Samsung design comes in the software design. Yeah. And well, I can almost look, I can look aside for the, the hardware, but like I can't for some of the software. And, um, you know, here, here at least, like, I, you know, I wrote my first impressions is that it feels different. They're not just cramming tons of features in. They've actually tidied up the settings menu. They seem to be listening to criticism in that regard. Um, but, yeah, it's still a it's, – it, they still need just to clean things up and just, just go the route of regular Android. I don't understand why they've got to put all this stuff on it, which hopefully, given the talks, maybe – Maybe Google will talk some sense into them. All right. Last last thing, briefly, and then we'll wrap it up. But the last thing is, have you seen this thing about the woman who was assaulted in uh, San Francisco with Google Glass? So, so I, 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 you know, long story short, a woman's in a bar wearing Google Glass, and she was accosted by people who assumed, presumed that she was videotaping them, and she said she wasn't. And she got assaulted. And here, clearly, over the line, you could, nobody should ever be assaulted. And I guess somebody ripped the glasses off her face, and it, somebody might have taken her purse. It got ugly fast, and the police are involved. But this woman is really um, – she's a lot of stories about it. But it, one thing that's a little weird is that the basic timeline, as I understand it, is she's in the bar. Patrons accuse her of videotaping them. She says she's not. She's just wearing glass. Uh, she gets assaulted. Again, no excuse, over the line. And now the police have footage of the incident from her Google Glass, which she said she wasn't using to videotape them. I did not follow the story that closely. Right, but she's got video footage. So she was videoing. She I, was, but it could have been post, I guess. I what, don't know. But, is the argument that she was videotaping post the... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I here's the thought that occurred to me, and it has not occurred to me before this incident and I don't know why even though I've I've been sort of a, a skeptic slash critic of Google, Google Glass all along I think Google made a huge mistake at putting a camera in the first version of Google Glass because to me the core point and the thing that most people want to do with it is have this heads-up display where you can see your notifications and stuff and that the heads-up display in mm -hmm. your field of vision all the time is the main um, no, it's not. If you they did not put the camera in the first version of Google Glass, those would be just an ugly piece of head decoration. Hmm. I mean, there is zero other, there is nothing else you can, there was, at least when I first tested it, and I just got the next version in, I, I sent it, you know, my old one back and got the new one. But pretty much the most handy thing you could do was not pick up your phone and take a photo. Huh. It was like, also, one of the first things that just actually worked really well, they did right. issue a lot of software updates, but taking a photo instantly updated to your Google Plus account or whatever your photo account was like the thing to demo. And it's huh. still been like, and it just doesn't, it didn't do much more. Then we did get some other notification stuff, but again, like there's some of that notification issues where you don't necessarily want to see all those notifications in front of your face. Well, so, it's not a. It's here's my thinking. So I I see where you're going, and I, I you know clearly if a camera is inevitable for it, 
but maybe just for the explorer edition as the you know just the introduction to the world if they didn't have the camera then anybody's objections to it would be only based on what it looks like on your face and whether it's you know the social implications of uh having a yeah having a screen and you're you know not knowing whether they're looking at you or looking at their screen all the time it's i Where, mean it would just take out cuz to me there's three objections that people have to glass as it stands the three are how it looks mm-hmm. the you know are they looking at the screen all the time and then third are they surreptitiously taking pictures or videoing right. me the i can't tell angle. right and if they had shipped just the explorer version right even with the plan all along that when the first truly attempt at true attempt at a mass market version of it would come out that it would have the camera it might have framed the initial reaction to it differently but it you're might saying have. I'm you're just saying, saying no, it would have I made just the ex- think they would have zero story like right. if you think about the examples of people wearing google glass right the verge did a number of them right they did it with that nba star right. they did it with it was all around these people being able to do a first-person documented look at X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. playing with their child, going to the NBA draft, hiking up a mountain, you know, experiencing what it what is like to be a paraplegic. Tons of different things which were just really centered around the fact that you had a camera and you were able to document your life in video and photos. Yeah. So you're saying it's too central, too central to the whole point of it. Absolutely. It's all I mean, or nothing. And that's like Google's, at least right now to me, their only marketing message hmm. on this thing. You want to play with your kids? Look at what look at this. Look at this experience of playing with your kids. It takes this out of the it takes the phone out of the equation. You can easily take these photos. Oh, you want to hike and you don't want to continue to pull out your phone? This is the solution. All of that type of stuff is their number one marketing message right now. Yes, there's some of the notifications. There's interesting apps that, you know, maybe you'll look at things and things will get better in that sense. But to me, number one thing is the camera. Yeah. You're on your bicycle, so you can't use your hands. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's, it's been interesting to watch. I, I had glass, I have glass. I, I've, I've had glass for almost what will be, I probably got it last March, April, so almost a year. And I paid my own money for it. And every once in a while, take it out, try it on, you know, but. That's what I do with my pebble. (laughs) Right. Then it goes right back on my desk. And I think to myself, I paid $1,500 for those. (laughs) And I mean, and I'm, and I genuinely, I'm interested to see what they do with the next version. I mean, one of the main reasons is I was constantly charging it. Like the battery life was horrendous, and I was like, I I just can't like wear these for three hours and then put them like in back on attached to the wall. And it's exactly you know with like the wrist as a target for a wearable device that this combination of display being on and the battery and you just you don't have room on your wrist for a big battery. You don't have room on your eyeglasses for a big battery. And I think that that's one of the biggest drawbacks of glass as it stands. You know, I think the the biggest is that it still to me looks terrible, right? It just makes your face look terrible. Not you in particular, Joanna, but everybody. But that thing behind your right ear is horrendous. It yeah. is. It's. It, it. You look like Lobot from uh, The Empire Strikes Back. It's just. It's. It. It's like you've got a big battery pack behind your ear. There's so, no hiding it. Yeah, I mean, and even then, the battery life is poor. 
yeah, the battery life was just, I mean, and it could have been, you know, that it's when I wear them, I want to use them more and I'm doing things, but, um, yeah. Uh, and that, you know, it made me feel bad for a while. I was like, maybe my life isn't interesting enough for these, <laughs> like maybe it's me. Um, and the most interesting stories really are coming from people who, who have interesting lives or, or different right. lives and how it's being useful to them. It's become more useful to them. He did a right. story at ABC about a quadriplegic who had, who had been using glass and it was really, really helpful. Um, so I think there's a, it is a, it's a niche product. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what they come out with in the next couple of, of months. Yeah. Form general. factor wise, it's a huge accessibility win to have a truly voice activated, you know, device. Although I'm not quite sure how, how would a, was there paraplegic or quadriplegic? Quadriplegic. Well, how did they do the tap? They did. She didn't. So it's just the fact that it's always listening exactly. for okay glass, right? Exactly. And she also had some head movement, so she was able to tilt a little bit with the head. Um, and I think she she had some other ways of, of being able to access the side a little bit. But for her, mostly it was um, being able to take photos with the voice, being able to see some notifications, Um yeah, it was. I mean, it was a really, really interesting story. Right, and then to me, that the accessibility angle is easily the most compelling side of glass because it's this combination of it. It's you know, for obvious reasons, you know, for a quadriplegic, it's a it's a tremendously adva advantageous form factor, but it really helps everybody, or it helps the the people who need it if it's also appealing to you know, everybody, because then it becomes more of a mass market item and can be sold at a lower price because there's more of them being made. Right. And that's certainly what they're going to be doing. But right. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. It was at Google a couple of weeks ago. I didn't say that many people walking around with them. <laughs> so it was just an, it was just an observation. Right. Um, yeah, that would be an, I, I, I've heard that too, that you just, you do not see many of them at Google. Yeah. But again, like how how useful is it for people that are sitting at their desks, right? Or or me, I guess my my boring life is just right. not. Well, one thing I've thought too and you know, I I see them when I am in San Francisco, you see, I mean you do, you see yeah. it's ground zero for seeing them. To me and not knowing the people who I see wearing them just sort of judging judging them but you know, with a quick, you know, making a snap judgment. It seems to very much appeal to extroverts and people who are looking forward to p strangers coming up and saying, hey, is that Google Glass? Yeah, Whereas and I would say that that was the most, <laughs> most exciting thing about wearing them a couple of months ago. It was like just everyone talking to you on the subway and actually to the point of this girl getting assaulted, I did worry a lot of times that someone would just come and grab them off my face because they knew that they were right. unique and uh, $1,500. $1, you know, right. I was like, this is a recipe for disaster. I'm paying, I'm wearing $1,500 on my face on the, in New York subway. Right. It's like putting a headband on and just putting $1,500 bills <laughs> you know, tucked underneath it. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm quite brave. Right. You know? Well, you're a little so, scary too. I'm a little scary and brave. All right. Well, that seems like a good way to wrap it up. I've taken up enough of your time. Um, everybody can find out more of your work at uh, the Wall Street Journal's personal technology section. Is there yep. a, uh, is there a uh, Well, right now, page? just wsjd.com, and then when we, we do launch this new area. Um, wsjd.com, and yes. then it'll, it'll just take you to the right place. And on Twitter, uh, 
great account to follow, Joanna at Joanna Stern. Yes, and please do not retweet the Band-Aid anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sick of it. It's, and you know, the thing, I didn't even get any more followers. <laughs> oh, that's that's like, the worst part. Yeah, I was like, come on. It's at five. It's at fifty two hundred now. That's amazing that you didn't get more followers. I mean, I probably got like a couple hundred, but not yeah, like, but no, you know. nowhere near in proportion to the no. retweets. No, I, no, you no. know what? That probably the the it's probably because once it gets out there in the real world of Twitter, outside our little right. uh, tech centric, you know, uh, uh, sphere of Twitter, mm-hmm. yeah, bubble. Uh, the real world of Twitter, they just regard, you know, they're so used to retweeting whatever's the retweet of the day that right. they don't even think about, hey, this person posted something clever. Right. Maybe I should follow them. I was like Justin Bieber for a day or like, <laughs> you know, Snooky, who tweet absolute crap and have so many followers. Right. <laughs> Justin Bieber for the day. 